Turn in your copy of God's Word or in your devices to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. We are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we are walking through, honestly, I don't know about you, but some of the hardest uh, sayings that Jesus said. We say, are are you sure Jesus said this? Are you sure this is in the Bible? But it's there. And by God's grace and by God's spirit, we are called to live it and to follow it because this is what Jesus has called us to do. Today, we're going to chew on and ask that God to work on our hearts on this command to love our enemies. So let's read the scripture here. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you as we come together that you would challenge us in your word, that you would gift us through your Holy Spirit, that you enable us to be more like your son, Jesus. And God, may we leave this place or leave this time together never the same again. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so I've been told that growing up as University of Kentucky fans that you were taught at a very early age to hate Louisville fans and Duke fans. That's what, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. That's rumor. Uh, I've also observed and noticed that by according to the media and to other standards that if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you are taught to hate those who are opposite of each other. And today, it's obviously popular that now you are to hate anyone who thinks differently than you do. Right now, I, any people who like daylight savings time, I am now your enemy uh, because I do not like daylight savings time. And those who have children understand why. We are pleased with ourselves if we love our family and friends. We're even pleased with ourselves if we can muster enough to love our neighbors It's easy because with our family and friends, at least they will cooperate from time to time. Friends, at least trade favors. Neighbors, we can endure because there's at least somewhat of a distance, right? We know that someone who's a pencil tapper, we know we can put up with them for 10 minutes a day as long as we can keep distance of them from time to time. But even we can make enemies out of friends and family. We can withhold forgiveness. We can not extend grace. We can retaliate. We can avoid them. We can even choose not to serve them. But here, Jesus unequivocally calls us to a radical form of love, a love that is demonstrated on the cross, one where love does not expect reciprocal love, care, or as a form of receipt. 
It is just a self-giving, self-sacrificing love, which is a good for the other person and not expecting anything in return. And this is the type of love that, yes, we are called to love our family. Yes, we are called to love our friends. Yes, we are called to love our neighbors. But yes, according to Jesus, we are called to love even our enemies. In this passage, Jesus redefines whom we're supposed to love and shattering all the definitions of the culture and who we're supposed to love. Think about how this type of radical love changes us. That means that we're to pray for our enemies. It means that we're to love our enemies. The questions that we must ask ourselves, are we to pray for our enemies' bad fortune or pray for their souls? Are we to argue political points to present or to present the gospel? Are we to avoid our enemy? Are we to show and serve them like Christ? Well, we know the answer, don't we? But we know that it goes against everything that we feel and everything that we think and everything that is natural. Because of sin, we are self-serving. And we know and we think that enemies deserve everything coming to them. But we need to be asking God to reveal where repentance and forgiveness is needed in this area in our life. Jesus clearly is telling us as believers to love our enemies. It's a radical call and it's a radical definition of love. And in this passage, there are four truths of the radical nature of following Jesus. And if you're following at home, or you're writing there, texting something in your notes, or you're writing on a piece of paper, number one is this. The radical call is to love your enemies. The radical call to love your enemies. Jesus begins these verses in verse 43 You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here is an interesting thing that Jesus is addressing. It is a command that would be known to everyone in the Jewish context. We know that it was a law. In Leviticus 19, 18, it says this, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community. But love your neighbor as yourself, as I am to the Lord. This is the exact wording of the Old Testament Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. These words are the exact same that Jesus quotes here in verse 43, to love your neighbor. But interestingly, that is based in Scripture. But the next phrase, you've heard it said, love your enemy, uh, excuse me, yeah, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, What Jesus is addressing here is that, yes, the context of love your neighbor was every Jewish believer at the time would say yes. But what had been added in time was that it was acceptable, it was okay to hate your enemy. And that would mean that anyone outside your context of the Jewish context, if you were Romans, it's okay to hate Romans. If they're a Canaanite, you can hate these Canaanites. If you know the Samaritans, you can hate the Samaritans. They are all against God, so we can be against them. 
But what's revolutionary is here is that Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies. You see, in the historic context, it is understandable that the Jewish people thought, well, I've read the Old Testament. The Bible tells us to hate the Canaanites. Even the imprecatory Psalms or the judgment Psalms says that it's okay for me to pray against God's enemies. But what they didn't understand is the Bible, the context of the Old Testament was to pray those things in a judicial sense, not an individual sense. That God was to bring about judgment. That God would, have, would fail his enemies. That God would be against those who are against him. But not us as individuals. Because as our neighbor, we have a different understanding. How do we know this? Well, Jesus taught it. What's one of the most favorite, famous and favorite parables that is quoted even by unbelievers today? The Good Samaritan, right? In that, Jesus talks about someone who, who takes care of someone, the, the Samaritan who is, who is not of the same race, not of the same belief, not of the same context, but they take care of the Jewish person who had been beaten and robbed on the side of the road and went above and beyond. And the description that Jesus is say, answering the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is teaching that our neighbor also includes our enemies. What constitutes that person as a neighbor is that he's a fellow human being, one who is designed in the image of God that is in need, that we know those who are in the measure that we have the opportunity to give some measure of relief. So this is a total redefinition that Jesus is answering. Who is my neighbor? Who is the one that I'm supposed to be taking care of? Who, am I, who is the one that I'm supposed to be serving, loving, praying for, taking care of? Well, Jesus says, it's not just those like you, but it's everyone around you who has a need, even those who persecute you and who are your enemies. So then what is our duty? Well, Jesus is saying here, our duty is to love, to care, to go above and beyond. This is the radical nature. You see, God is not happy with just the negative. He didn't just say, don't hate your enemy. Don't go against your enemy, which he could have done and would have been fine. But what did Jesus say? He went the total 180. He said, love your enemy. That is a calling of us as scripture to be self-giving, self-sacrificing, not expecting anything in return, but instead loving for the good of that person. And how does he say that we should pray even for those who persecute you? Praying for someone that is your enemy. Now, what is the way that we normally pray for them? Pray for them to get their comeuppance, Pray for them to, to have a bad day. Pray for them. But I don't think that's how Jesus is calling us to pray today. For our enemy, we are to show love. Maybe it's praying for God to soften our own hearts first that we may and can love. Are you asking God to change their hearts, their lives, their circumstance? Are you asking God to do a work in their heart that they might come into faith and repentance of him if they're unbelievers or, or if they're hypercritical or they're, they're someone that are hard to be around or they've come even against you in the workplace or, or in school? Are you praying for God to change them? 
Brothers and sisters, this is a form of love that goes beyond not hating someone. But this is going above and beyond in loving them. And this way we are like Christ, who prayed for his enemies, who were murdering him on a cross, and he prayed for them. John Stott observed in this scene by saying, Jesus seems to have prayed for his tormentors actually while the iron spikes were being driven through his hands and feet. Indeed, the imperfect tense suggests that he kept praying, kept repeating his entry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, in Luke 23, 24, 34. If the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayers for his enemies, what pride, what pain, what prejudice or sloth could justify the silencing of ours? Brothers and sisters, are you praying for your enemies? Are you loving them? Well, we're called to love each other, but we're even called to love our enemies. And in doing so, number two, the radical display of the love to the world. When we do so, there is a radical display of the love to the world. In verse 45 through 47, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is teaching here that the way that we love others is ultimately to display our love for God by the way that we love others. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There is the tie that Jesus makes to the world and to those around us that when we sacrificially love even our enemies, it is clear that we belong to God. You see here when the the text says that you are to, uh, in verse um, uh, 45, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, this is a Hebrew idiom of saying that you will uh, be like your Father in heaven. Some read it as is that you must love in this way to gain eternity or gain uh, heaven or to gain salvation. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. We know that it is by faith alone in Christ alone, separate of our works, that we are saved. But in this, what is happening when we love even our enemies, we are saying we're like our dad. We're like God. We're like Jesus. We know that when we love our enemies, that we are like him. John Piper observes, he says, now someone might take this to mean that you must first come to a person who loves his enemies before you can be a child of God. But it may also mean love your enemies and so prove yourself to be what you are, a child of God. That is, show you are a child of God by acting the way your father acts. If you are his, then his character is in you. And you will be inclined to do what he does. How do we do this? Well, Jesus goes on to give an example 
of how does God love? Well, God gives love. Does he not, it says, does he not send rain on the righteous and unrighteous? Does he not get the sun to rise on evil and the good? Uh, what is this saying is to give us a, a lesson on what is common grace, that God gives good to believers and the righteous and that spills over and shows over to all the world in other words that God gives us a wonderful sunny day it's not only sunny for people who go to church right it's not little clouds like people you know is that some cartoon I don't know which one that a cloud follows them around wherever they go if they're unbelievers no there is sun that goes on the righteous and unrighteous that there is common grace there that when there is prosperity and goodness that comes to the nation sometimes it comes yes not just to the believers but also to the unbelievers that God is a generous God who gives good things to all people at all times and what Jesus is saying is just like God is in his generosity so should we be to all people generous good and loving and when Jesus said love we should, it reveals that we are displaying the character of God in our love, but for another reason, it distinguishes us from the world. Because what does the world say? I mean, right now in our cultural context, I mentioned it. If you don't even think like me, you're my enemy. That's why I'm so concerned and so saddened over the last few years to see the church on display in social media, in chat life to say that I'm going to follow this same cultural uh, stream, that you are different from me. I'm going to hate you. I'm going to make um, t-shirts against you. I'm going to make websites against you. I'm going to make memes and videos against you. But that is not being like Christ. That's being like the world. What are we called to be? We are called to be different from the world. That we are to love. If you are to love those who, uh, we are to be different. How does that distinguish it? It says, if you love those who love you, what reward or what's going to be different from you? Even the tax collectors love people like them. Now, this is, this is inflammatory. If we're reading this in the first century context and we hear Jesus and read that, what Jesus is saying, we're saying, whoa, you're saying that actually the tax collectors are better or at the same level as me? I mean, look, I know that we've had some people who've worked for the IRS in their, their time and, and they get a bad rap and the tax collecting this tax season, we don't like those people who come and get our money. They are in many ways have been distinguished as enemies, but, but in this first century context, they were more than enemies. They were slimy, no good, disgusting, uh, cheating people. Rome would say, hey, in this county, let's just use this as a county context. In this county, uh, you, this, how mu this is how much tax should come back to the empire. And they were ascribed to a head tax collector. The, the head tax collector said, well, I can't do the whole county myself. So every one of the, these sub-tax collectors that I've sent out house to house and place to place, this is your quota. This is how much you're supposed to bring back. But guess what? Every one, every level collected more for themselves. It's a pyramid scheme. 
And the, the little, you know, the groundling tax collector said, well, I got to get for my boss. I need to get this. I need to get a little bit more to pay myself. Well, the boss had already asked for a little more for, for him, from him. And so all the way up, there's more and more getting. And so in that day, they were just slimy, horrible people. Jesus' point that even those disgusting, double-crossing tax collectors loved their own double-crossing, disgusting tax collector friends. They, they loved and cared for each other. They, 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 they looked out for each other. They cared for each other. So what Jesus is saying, what difference are you from the world if all you do is love people like you and are easy to love and is safe to love? What Jesus is saying, there's something more that you're loving people not like you, distant from you, your enemies. And that's how you're distinct from the world. There's a friend that I knew that had, had moved into a house and their neighbor was just the person, you know, I don't if anybody's named Karen here, I just apologize. That's just the term of the culture, right? Was a typical Karen saying, uh, you know, hey, you know, by this standard, you're not doing, you know, your, your flag's too long and your, your grass is one quarter inch off. And you're, you know, they just kept on and kept on and kept on. And just living beside them was, was just hard. And the friend just decided that they were going to, no matter what, you know, they were different in every way. They were a Christian. Their, their neighbor was not. They, they had debates about things. And it was just difficult. And so my neighbor, the neighbor, the friend decided that they were going to do everything they could to love them. They spent time every day praying for them. They looked for opportunities to do kind things for them. Even then it didn't feel like, you know, it was received well. They just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept loving even when it was hard. You know, those late neighbors moved away and there was never really reconciliation, but my friend cried that day because they were going to miss them because God had done something not necessarily in their heart, but had done something in their heart. They had shown to the world that there's something more than love. There's something more that can't be described in natural terms. And that is the type of love we are called to love. Not same love, not easy love, not convenient love, but more love. What is more? What is needed? What is beyond? What is above and beyond? How is it different from the world? And if we believe this, we should shower our enemies and friends with acts of loving kindness, this more type of love, which reminds us in what Jesus says next, that we have this radical call to holiness, number three, this radical call of holiness. Verse 40, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, you just keep, when is this sermon over, Jesus? Could you say something a little more hard, please? I mean, this is, I, I don't understand all these different things. Now you're telling me that I need to be perfect? 
Well, in the Greek, this word or term is that you is emphatic. It's Jesus saying, not all of mankind, but you, disciples, you followers. This is a command of the scripture that you who say you are following me, that you are my, you are my disciples, that you need to be different. You need to be perfect. This is clear as Old Testament and New Testament said different things, but Leviticus 19.2 says, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Again, this ha- the God is saying to Israel, but says to us in the same way through Jesus Christ, that if you are following me, you are to be called to be holy like I am or now you have been called to be like Christ as you have saved you. In Matthew 5, it is merely not a moral demand, but it's a picture of what is we know we are chasing as believers. We look at it and think there's no way that we can uh, tell the truth, go the second mile and, and not retaliate and, and not be, be, look at lust and, and, and not murder in our heart by being angry. All these things are nearly impossible. What Jesus collects all these things to say, hey, you are to be striving in this way to be perfect, to be holy as I am holy. Jesus is saying that we must be aspiring to be like our Father in heaven. First John, John writes, dear friends, we are God's children now. And what will be is not yet revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This scripture helps us to see that, yes, there is one day we will be glorified and we will be pure in that day when we are united in Christ in heaven. But along the way, we are striving and by God's grace in the Holy Spirit, he is making us more like his son. So this reminds us that the Sermon of the Mount is for believers, for men and women who have already entered the kingdom of God because we know no one can enter the kingdom of God by these standards. But it's the Christian who understands that it is by Christ that when we fail, when we have failed, when we are wrong, we are in sin, it is then that we repent and we ask God to help us be more like Jesus. Alfred Plummer says that to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. To love as God loves is moral perfection. You know, too many of us as Christians excuse sin, think that it's a laughing matter, share stories how we've got back at someone, or gossip because we knew someone did wrong to us. But brothers and sisters, that is not the type of love that God has called us to. We're called to be perfect and to be holy and to love even our enemies. So what do we do because we know that we cannot hit this perfection? Well, we understand, number four, the radical love of Jesus. We know that 
we're sinners. We know that we are not perfect. We know that we fall short. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that, that there is none righteous, none, not one. The verb in Romans 3.23 says that we have fallen short is taken from the practice of archery, meaning those who have missed the mark. It's like putting a target at the end of a football field and marching to the total end of the other and, and seeing if we can hit the bullseye because that is God's standard. His holiness is, is not something attainable. It's, it's a quarter size that far away. And, and, and our, some of us, our arrows are going to even hit the ground. Some of us are, might even hit the target on the edge, but none of us reach the standard of perfection. So what must we do? We turn to the love of Christ that has been displayed on the cross. The answer is that we must turn from our own efforts completely and receive the perfected of love of God, which has been shown to us in Jesus. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, this is the love in which we get forgiveness and hope and know that our imperfection and unholiness is overcome and overwhelmed by the sacrifice and love of Jesus on the cross. And the only way to be perfect as our fathers are perfect is to be clothed through faith with the righteousness of Christ. So therefore, if you feel in this way that you are far from God, that you cannot love your enemies, and maybe even this morning did not love an enemy, well, here's good news for you. There is hope by going to Christ, by going to God, repenting and asking him to make you more like him. But if you are far from God and never trusted, all of your imperfections are overwhelmed by the love of Christ. Come to him, accept him, receive him today. He's a free gift of grace. Trust in him, believe in him, and you will be saved. But as we follow this scripture, brothers and sisters, we are called to love our enemies. We need to pray for our enemies. We need to forgive our enemies. We need to serve our enemy. We need to share the gospel with our enemies. We need to be humble around our enemies. Because Christ has been all these things to us. Let us love our enemies. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we be changed and may we be more like Jesus. May we love our enemies. May we stop making excuses. May we stop excusing our sin and not loving those who seem to be unlovable. May we love even those who persecute us, as Jesus calls us. May we, by, by grace, 
be changed to love like you love. But God, help us to make these steps today to commit ourselves to loving our enemy. And by those who are here, in the sound of my voice, in this room, in the fellowship hall, or watching online, may someone who doesn't know you be saved by your grace and the mercy, knowing that while we were still sinners, you died for us, that by faith we can receive that love forever. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.